What's going on guys? Welcome to 8-Bits Video Game Book Club. We are powered by Audio-Technica as we replay some of the finest releases in gaming history. I'm your host for this inaugural episode, John O'Peck, and I'm joined by Commander-in-Chief over here, Brendan, Brendan White. How you doing? I was going to say Brendan Shepard. I'm, I'm doing well, thank you, and this is certainly my favorite podcast on the 8-Bit Citadel, so uh, yeah. thank you for having me. That's all right. I mean, this is one of my favorite series to talk about. I know it's one of yours to talk about, so I'm so glad that we can do it together on content today. Of course, this is a book club. We're looking back at Mass Effect. Thanks to EA and BioWare's Mass Effect Legendary Edition, we're going to be winding the clock back to 2007 to look at the original Mass Effect. So this is kind of a review of that game as a remaster, but with a twist. So it's it's taking, you know, what I do on the Comedy Rewind podcast, looking back at something from yesteryear under the modern lens, and we're doing it with a, with a video game book club style approach. What do you think? I, I think it's a great concept. Like it's a, it's a good way to get a little retrospective and, and talk about some of these classics that maybe we might not have played or we might not have played since their inaugural release. So it's going to be mm. cool to go back and go through the the who's who, I guess, of, of video game royalty. And it's, I guess it's it's funny that we're, we're playing Mass Effect here. And yeah, it's a franchise that you and I both adore, but we're playing the new slightly reimagined version, you could say. Like we've got the, the fresh coat of paint here, thanks to that legendary edition that, that EA kindly provided us. And, and we've got the same experience, but slightly different. You played on the PlayStation 5. Mm-hmm. I played it on the Xbox Series X. But uh, yeah, what is, what is old is new again, I guess you could say for this one here for uh, Mass Effect yeah. 1. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of just like watching an old movie when it's released on Blu-ray. I feel like, you know, it's been touched up a little bit here and there. Maybe, you know, they did some color grading to make it look a bit different. There's not like, I mean, it's been a while since I played the first game, which we'll, we'll get into, but I feel like they didn't, it's it's not like on par with some of the remakes that feel like, like, for example, the Crash Bandicoot remake, they completely redid it from scratch. This is more just like, oh, let's fix some of these hard edges and, and that kind of thing. I'm I'm right there with you there. Like it's yeah, it's it's not quite the Malibu Stacy with the new hat. It's it's somewhere in between that and Crash Bandicoot <laughs> and Resident Evil Two and Nemesis, mm-hmm. where you can see like the the improvements are noticeable, whether it be in the gameplay or in the in the graphics themselves. But like it's not like you're playing a completely brand new game. You're not sort of jumping back into this world and going, who are these characters? Like you know, what is yeah. this world? Like it's still that familiar space-shaped comfort food that we loved back in the uh the late 2000s and um mm. you know did we still love it today we'll find out yeah <laughs> and at the same time like it we'll, we'll get into this in detail but to me it didn't feel like i was playing an ancient video game like some sometimes you play you know a remaster or whatever you want to call these hd re-releases and the controls are all weird and you know it's 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 very it just goes yes things have changed a lot and things have changed a lot there's some things that we'll get to that uh maybe age the game quite a bit but for the most part i enjoyed replaying it let's dig back to our first experiences with this game do you remember your first 
experience with with mass effect as a franchise i i do indeed like um I had this one on my radar for a while. I, I was a big Bioware fan and and seeing that this was going to be a, an Xbox console exclusive on the 360 back in uh, 2007 when it dropped, I was very excited. So uh, this was a day one purchase for me. I uh, remember going to JB Hi-Fi in Belconnen in, uh, in Canberra and picking this up and I pretty much played hooky the rest of that afternoon and, and took the next day off work and sort of smashed this thing out over the span of those few days and then the subsequent weekend afterwards. So it, it hooked me from from the jump. Like I would have been about 21 then. So um, you know, maybe at the height of my powers, who knows? But uh, yeah, it was, it was a really, really great experience. Like I love science fiction. I love big, massive RPGs and getting them melded together in a console experience. It was very unlike most of the games that you'd get on console up until that date, especially with some of the things we'll talk about with what this game did later, but it just mm. blew me away. Like, um, it wasn't without a couple of little warts and, and annoyances, which we'll talk about maybe a bit later too, but overall, like, the narrative got me. I was caring about all the characters. I was taking time to talk to anybody that would cross my path. I'd... <laughs> constantly go revisit everyone on the normandy you know just you know catch up with mates hey how you doing what's news let's dig deeper on this or let's let's flirt with them that way or whatever you know like <laughs> it was a game where you, you cared about every single moving part in the entire world you were in and it was so fresh for me back then and yeah big big nostalgia uh hit when i've been playing this over the last week or week or two it's it's been great yeah to me it was it was a bit like putting on like an old, like, you you know, you're digging through, maybe you're cleaning out the cupboard and you find like an old t-shirt and you're like, oh, I love this t-shirt. And, you know, you put mm-hmm. it on and it still fits just the same. Um, for me, Mass Effect, like the first one, as you mentioned, being the Xbox exclusive, I didn't even really know about it until a few years later. I think I was at a friend's place in like 2010 and he's like, have you played Mass Effect? And I was like, no. So I, I played like the tutorial or the introduction, created a character and that was my first time like coming across it. And then I think because Mass Effect 2 was releasing on the PS3, I decided, well, I need to play Mass Effect 1, but it wasn't released on the PS3, so I had to play it on the PC. Mm-hmm. So I actually bought a PC game, which doesn't really happen much. Wow. I've still, I've still got it up there. It's the, the one box on my shelf that's like the different size of everything else (laughs) um but yeah so i played it on pc i thought this is really cool um and then for for mass effect 2 i was all in on the on the ps3 you know you you couldn't carry the save over obviously but there it came with this little interactive comic to fill in your choices that you made in the first one and so because of that i have because it was on PC, I haven't actually gone back to it until now. So it's been 10, uh, 11 years since I played it. Meanwhile, I've played Mass Effect 2 and 3 a lot. So I was mm-hmm. very familiar with those, not so much with this one, which was one of the reasons I was so keen to get back to it and kind of see like how it all started. Almost like a prequel to these games that I'm very familiar with in that sense. So That's so great. Yeah, so, so getting back to it and um, you know, hearing over the years that this was more of a role-playing game and they took away these elements that um, that made it more of, of that style. It was cool to go back and say, yeah, like the skill tree is like so much wider and there's XP that you get for doing everything and uh, everything kind of gears towards like you've got your weapon stats and, you know, I'm, I'm about 30 hours into Mass Effect 2 at the moment and all the gun stats from the first game are gone. So you have to just kind of 
go with what feels mm-hmm. right to you instead of what's actually the most powerful weapon. So Mass Effect 1 really is that kind of RPG with, you know, all the, the skill trees and, and everything that um, was watered down later on for, I guess, you know, favoring more of the the third-person shooter cover base kind of deal that they moved into. So it was cool to kind of get the reminder of how the, the franchise started and how these characters met and how they first formed these relationships. And, you know, you, you're riding with um, Garrus, you know, all the way through the series. Liara's there all the way through. You, you come across Rex again and Tali's obviously there. So, yeah, to, to get these moments where you, you get to see them meet for the first time was really special, I think, especially when you've spent so much time with all these characters throughout the years. Yeah, they, they become like, it's going to sound very probably cliche and silly, but they become like this extension, like they're part of your big video game family. Like when you mm-hmm. have that continuity from one, two and three and the relationships that you 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 literally work on in the game like you do in real life, you know, <laughs> yeah. to befriend these people or romance them or, or, you know, whatever your preferred outcome is, like seeing that develop and seeing them peel layers away slowly with repeat conversations and and navigating the the sort of the dialogue options mm. in certain ways it, it was really really refreshing and and yeah getting that payoff with some of these characters through the the entire of the three games was awesome um one thing that yeah. took me by surprise that i i've forgotten because i hadn't played this since i did that first run through in 2007 so it's been a long time since i played mass effect one <laughs> and i forgot how quickly you assemble your squad like the entire squad yeah. like you have all six of those party members I know it's a lot less than 10 minutes, but that's what it feels like. It feels like you just meet them all at once. You're like, yo, we mates now? Yeah, come on this spaceship. Let's go on an adventure. Like, it happened. the first couple of hours, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Super quick, which which yeah. was um, which was great. But um, yeah, it felt very uh, very foreign to me at the same time because mm. I'm like, I thought there was a bit more work that went into this, but I'm not I, complaining. I, yeah, I think because especially in two and three, you build that crew over the course of the entire game and there's so many more people like... There's probably 10 characters to pick from in Mass Effect 2 compared to your six, I think. Correct, yeah. I, the I think one. there's, with the DLC, I think it brings it out to, I think it's maybe tw- 11 or 12 in total for two because you get yeah. the, get yeah, the um, DLC characters. Yeah. yeah, It's a lot anyway. Um, but yeah, you're totally right about, you know, building relationships with these people and it is almost like real life because you're like, oh, I haven't talked to Joker for a while. I better mm-hmm. go see... If he's doing all right, if he's got anything new to say, if, 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 if you know, if he's happy with everything on the Normandy, just just checking in. And um, you're right; it's it's like managing those relationships. So, really, probably the first instance in a game that I can remember doing that, which we'll get to, because I think this game has, um, you know, had had its legacy and had its impact and influence on on future games. But um, mm-hmm. just for this playthrough, this this new one. Um, revisiting it, what kind of character build did you do? Who did you romance? Give me all the details. Okay, so all the details. I um, I male or female, I should say. I, I went male Shep again. So I've I've played through. I know it's going to be boring, or whatever. But all my Mass Effect <laughs> playthroughs has been male Commander Shepard. I haven't gone the Fem Shep route, so uh, you know, no no issues with that. But just that's just the, the way I'd always played this game. And, and and I guess boringly, I did the same for this one. But like, I remember my first Mass Effect run through, I uh, I just went as the soldier class, but I, I went with uh, the Vanguard 
on this one, mm-hmm. but I didn't pay proper enough attention because I forgot that the Vanguard, you don't get the chargeability until Mass Effect 2 and 3, which broke my heart because I love that ability where you can just like, you're literally a human bullet and you're zipping around the battlefield and smashing into people there and then zipping here <laughs> and there. Where in this one, you got you got to take a lot of cover and just pot away and use your warp and barrier and lift and, and your throw yeah. here or there. So... I was a bit disappointed in myself with going that route, but I thought because I'm going to play through all three again, I want that continuity, and I'll get charge uh, in two, which I've got now, which yeah. is great. But it you can re me. you can respec at the start of two, just so you correct know, in yep. case you have any second second thoughts. But yeah, I I went with an infiltrator. I like the the sniper rifles in these games, mm-hmm. especially in the third one when you can start shooting through those um those shields with the little slot. And uh, there's a trophy called like mail slot or something, which I always enjoyed with 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 the sniper rifle. So I, I went with that one, and I also wanted because I think I went soldier on my original playthrough, and it was all just like the gun based kind of attacks. Yeah. So I wanted to have a bit more to work with. So obviously you have like your overload and the the abilities to like um kind of hack AIs and that kind of thing. I always try to play with a couple biotics, so that's the only reason that I don't play as a biotic because I like to like. Do you commit tend to command the rest of your squad or just let them do what they want? Depends on what was happening in on the battlefield at the time. Like I always have them to use all their abilities because you know how you can have them to do defensive or, yeah. or attack based only. But I give them free reign. I trust them. But like I'd synergize <laughs> where I'd I'd grab like Liara and use the um what's what's the oh, i'm having a mental blank on her ability where she just like summons like that void like that black hole the, and it draws yeah, them the, all in the singularity the singularity yeah. that's the word i'm looking for so i'd use that and then like use uh a couple of my abilities in there just to get it all popping uh you know put warp in there as well so it just starts dotting on top of the singularity and then having grunter or, or rex sorry in there just you know popping popping sort of assault or a shotgun based damage on top of that so yeah i was i was the same i'd try and mix and match my party loadout as much as i could but primarily i found myself rolling with like um like i was doing a lot of like heavy just pure biotic at the time too where it'd be myself as a vanguard i'd have tali and i'd have liara and just be having just abilities just going off left right and center I bring in Garrus or, or Rex here and there. Never, never Caden, never Caden or Ashley, <laughs> to be honest. Um, yeah. Just because they're a bit boring characters and stuff we'll talk about later. But yeah, yeah it was always <laughs> myself and, and the, the aliens in my crew. Yeah. Who would you keep out of uh, Ashley? Well, I guess, I guess we should say full spoilers for this game, obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, Nothing, uh... <laughs> nothing's off limits here at, yeah. the, old, uh, at the book club. So uh, who, did, who did you save out of Caden and Ashley? Um, so in games prior... I, I, well, in my first run, I remember I saved Ashley, but mm-hmm. um, Me too. <laughs> in, in this one, I actually flipped the script and, and went to old uh, Vanilla Slice and grabbed Caden. So I've saved Caden yeah. on this playthrough. Uh, you know, Ashley and her deeply ingrained racism is not welcome on my Normandy. So she's a. Uh, She's out of here. Yeah. She, she died. <laughs> she died in, uh, in, in Vermeer. <laughs> yeah, I went the same direction, believe it or not. But, um, yeah, I think. Oh no, romance the... Liara. I me too. Yeah, <laughs> was that a hard thing for you knowing that your you know your girl Miranda was around the corner? Yeah, like um, it is very difficult. Uh, very difficult, and I'm I'm sort of at the crossroads in two at the moment where I'm like, do I focus 
like on that sort of honored path where I'm like, no, nah, Liara's my girl now. Like that's the way it's going to go. Mm. Or do I uh, pick up the uh, the very gorgeous uh, Australian <laughs> um, special force, like the the pseudo spy that she is and uh, get her involved. Yeah. But um, you know what's funny yeah. is I, I romance Miranda originally as well. But when you choose not to, which I have in this playthrough, she's a real biatch like she's not nice at all yeah she is she is not cool she's kind of abrasive yeah and she's got it's funny funny too because she's got some of the sim like she has similar mindsets with ashley regarding some of the alien races some of the things she says mm. we're like yeah if you're not in love with miranda you're like whoa baby like what's this about like that's not welcome on the on, on my ship either like settle down here settle down i don't know what cerberus have been indoctrinating you with you know but uh yeah just cool your jets cool your jets lady yeah, I, I played as Femme Shep because Jennifer Hale is just an amazing yeah. performance in, in all across this series, and she's a god. Getting, get, yeah, getting the chance to to interview her last year, I was like, how can I not re-roll with Femme Shep? Like I've done both playthroughs with male and female over the years, um, but not Femme Shep in the original Mass Effect. So yeah, r- really cool to to do that. And as I mentioned, I went with the Infiltrator romance Liara. And yeah, I, 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 I yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because I went, I got the platinum trophy for this game. It meant that I had to command people to use certain powers a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I was micromanaging completely for most of the game. And, um, at the same time using, you have to do like five missions with each character. So it includes side missions. So you can kind of grind it out pretty easily that's the only reason i would ever use ashley or or caden mm-hmm. uh, but okay we're going to move into kind of the more comedy rewind style categories now so I, i've got the metacritic score here in front of me we usually do rotten tomatoes but uh brendan do you have any idea what the metacritic score is for mass effect 91 for xbox 360 it was indeed yes mm-hmm. that's the highest and that was where it was most reviewed but Man, that that's a good score, and it, it it's good to know that you know the game was popular at release and earned that reputation. It it wasn't like a cult hit or anything like that. Yeah, and it like it came out in a year that saw Assassin's Creed and Bioshock also release. Mm. So uh, it was amongst some some other equally uh, you know very impressive titles, and and sits sits you know pound for pound with that sort of royalty as well. Yeah. So the big movies and TV shows that were out at the same time that this game released, I've got here Transformers came out, uh, 300 released, Mm -hmm. I Am Legend, Ghost Rider, The Rise of the Silver Surfer (laughs) came out. Uh, What's SM3? Um, I was trying to work out what that was looking (laughs) at the notes. I'm like, SM3? Uh, Far out. Um, Now I'm going to have to look at that. (laughs) Oh no, Spider-Man 3. Oh, that was the, Spider-Man that was... 3. Okay, because yeah. I was stumped. I looked at that and I'm like, what the hell was SM3? I remember writing it thinking, I'll write SM3 so Brendan doesn't know what it is. But well, then I you're right. You're bang on the money. That was uh, when they when they took uh, Venom to the uh, the wood chipper. And, uh... Yeah. My dude Topher Grace, got. Uh, they did him nasty on the big screen. God, but, they did him and um, Venom nasty together. That, that was the number one grossing movie that year. That's so, insane. Yeah. On on the small screen, we had the debut season of Mad Men. Mm-hmm. It was also right in the middle of 30 Rock, 
Chuck, Entourage, Dexter, House, The Sopranos, and The Office. So pretty good year. Pretty good time to be watching TV. Great year. Um, I, I've watched all of those shows season to season. Like I've, mm. I've finished all of those. All those movies you mentioned, they're all pretty great outside of maybe Ghost Rider. You know, seeing old Nick Cage as uh, Johnny Blaze <laughs> was a bit... Uh, Bit how how you doing? But um, you know it is what, what it is. Silver, we got to. Are you going to stand behind uh, Silver Surfer? Oh no, you? I'm I'm completely just <laughs> ignoring that as well. It was yeah. it was terabad as well. So uh, started started great with those first four you mentioned. Then it went downhill very swiftly yeah. from there. I went with like the nerd culture kind of relevant movies. There was obviously like some huge you know critical acclaimed movies like No Country for Old Men and mm-hmm. that kind of thing. But for the purposes of this conversation. Ghost Rider. <laughs> Filmed in Melbourne. Which is great. Uh, Only good thing about that movie. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully it didn't kill the franchise's potential future because that's a character that I would love to see how they can possibly pull it off in the MCU. Well, they've made it... The, well, they did the sequel, which was worse than the yeah, first one. Mm. Yeah, definitely do not ever go back and watch that. But they did him really, really well in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Like... We got a good, good amount of Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and I thought it was really well done. So hopefully we'll see him in Phase 4 or Phase 5, bring him bring him back out of hell because he's so great. I had no idea that that was a thing. There you go. Hmm. All right, so getting back to Mass Effect, what did you have as the most iconic sequence in this playthrough? <sighs> I, I don't know if it's like... Like my answer, I took it as like my... Like from from the way it made me feel emotionally, whether it be good, bad, mm-hmm. or otherwise, and it was the whole the whole Vermeer mission because that was for me. Even now, like doing this replay and seeing some of these mechanics just more common now in in a lot of these uh, RPG style games, the, when you are presented with these choices where you can potentially have Rex killed right near the start of that mission yeah. because the, the you know the genophage is causing all kinds of trouble and the krogans are going insane and and you can like tell one of your squad mates to just pop him in the head or you kill him or you can talk him down so that to me still stood up and then obviously you've got the choice later with caden and ashley who you're saving so the fact that you can go from having a full squad to being down two in the span of this one mission where there is some other big ramifications playing through on this mission as well but that's where I I sort of went with it because you get a you get an awesome face to face with Saren on in in Vermeer and and you yeah. get the introduction to the Reapers and and the threat that that's posing and all that stuff and then you're having these massive big moral choices where it's like do I does yeah does Rex get gunned down here who do I save who do I sacrifice and seeing it play out in Shepard's face as well like they actually got him to have a or Shepard's face him or her whoever you're playing you see the emotion like when when you're flying off and like he's that moment of realization where where Ashley or Caden are, are dying here and that's your choice like you can see mm. it's sort of really impacting him and um that whole epi- that whole mission as a whole just like gut punch and and you know senses of sadness and and just really really tense and heavy on the heart yeah, it's one of those moments like it feels like very true to the whole like idea of being like a commander where that the person isn't dying in front of you in your arms. It's like you're making a decision that will likely lead to their death. Yeah. And and that's what happens here. It's like, you know, you you pick the person that you're going to go and help, therefore the person that you're not helping is doomed. So to to see the the, you know, 
the way that they handled that was was pretty interesting. I had that mission as well in another way where I wrote meeting the Prothean mm-hmm. for the first time. It's it's the I guess it's the the VI as they call it. And and that kind of shed so much light on who those people were and 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 what happened to them. And that's such a mystery throughout this game and throughout the whole series really. Yeah. Right up to three. So I found that was a really cool sequence. Um, the, the two other kind of like most iconic ones that I had were when you, anytime you kind of interact with the council and you have the choice to be like polite and yeah, like or just middle fingers, you know, or just like, you know, like Wu-Tang, I'm out of here. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> and I definitely went Wu-Tang on the last one where um, they kind of, you know, they, they just don't really appreciate the sacrifice like they don't believe you you're like hey it happened i was there and they're like oh our records and it's constant disbelief like (laughs) repeatedly throughout the entire first mass effect where you're like yo i experienced these things i saw these things oh we didn't see it so it's not true i had these visions oh we can't really do anything about a vision oh the evidence is inconclusive it's like fuck you guys you know you're not doing anything (laughs) totally and then it all comes to a head at the end of the game when you have the choice to kill them or not which i, I did was like both times <laughs> you killed them <laughs> yeah i think i think i killed them the first time i played because i was like no nah, screw those guys but this time i was like you know what i'm going to be the bigger man or the bigger woman in this case and uh i'm going to save them but then i'm going to rub it in their face afterwards and be like hey if you listen to me this wouldn't have happened yeah okay so you, you just threw a bit of spice at them and a bit of shade after the fact see I, yeah. I i wanted to save the innocent civilians i'm like man we can get a we can get a new council who cares we'll, we'll save yeah. the masses and they frustrate me and then yeah all is well with the world you know you, you're rebuilding the uh the council and, and mm. getting anderson on there or uh or Adina if you want but i'm, I'm always in in anderson's corner Adina can he can get yeah. out of here he could have died with the council for all i care <laughs> who's picking you dina that's what i want to know like yeah who, who's crazy enough to do that i think the one of the reasons i did save them was because I, I googled like what happens in mass effect 2 if you if you save them and they reinstate you like as a specter which mm-hmm. doesn't happen if you you know let them die so i went with the, the long-term kind of vision okay. with that yeah. one um, the, the other, uh, incident or the scene that I wanted to mention is the confrontation with Saren at the end of the game. Mm-hmm. So the first time I played this game, I guess I didn't really understand the whole like, para, uh, Paragon renegade thing. And I probably just did whatever I felt like at the yep. time, but building up like enough in one category gives you the power to make these decisions that you can't make otherwise. So I I just fought Saren like a normal end of the game boss fight, you know. But this time around, having all those Paragon points, uh, I was able to, you know, get him to realize that he's been indoctrinated and kill himself, which I didn't realize the first time I played was even an option. So it was cool to kind of experience that firsthand, not just like watching a YouTube video or something. Thinking that was the end, and then on a, the Reaper's like bringing back to life, and you have to fight him again anyway. So, I thought that whole thing was handled really well, and I'm guessing for the time, 2007, it was probably a pretty out there thing. I know that Fallout, like the, those old CRPG games in the 90s, had these kinds of things where you could like get your speech high enough to talk a bit like the boss into you know killing themselves or whatever. But at this triple a like 
very cinematic level to see this kind of handled i thought it was was really cool yeah it was my first experience with um with seeing that sort of cause and effect where you can where what you say matters you know like mm. it's for the most part in a lot of rpgs you just you just chuck like selecting which line sounds the coolest yeah and and seeing it where they only give you maybe a slight phrase and that that's not exactly going to be verbatim with what shepherd will say and and then shaping that conversation from there but having the having the power to talk someone off a ledge or talk them into combat or whatever you know renegade or aggressive state was really powerful and i remember remember that in sort of uh my first run through where i was blown away because i didn't i didn't play many of the big pc rpgs and stuff like the ones you mentioned i was i was mm. bought up on console and we didn't really get a ton of that where you were getting a lot of massive beefy narrative especially to that extent so yeah i was i was blown away i actually managed to yeah got it get him he killed himself for me in my first playthrough in uh 2007 so yeah i still remember it to this day and i'm, I'm happy that that was uh on your on your list as uh you know big iconic sequences yeah so, Brendan, what holds up the best in this playthrough? What what is it that you play this game and you think, you know, this hasn't aged today? I think I think the the biggest part for me is the world building. Mm-hmm. I think um the fact that they flesh out this this Milky Way solar system, your your crew on the Normandy, they've all got their own backgrounds, they've got their own origins, their own ideals. And being able to have all these different conversations, and it's not just you have that one conversation, you revisit them five more missions later and that's the same one like there's character development there you've got new story new backstory new history new jokes new flirting up whatever it is you know whichever whichever options and whichever characters you're talking to so the crew members have a part to play in in the decision making of the game i found myself constantly thinking about you know what what would my crew think of me in this situation you know i want to be a nice upstanding commander here and whatnot. So trying to be on the same page as my party members and, and have that same sense of influence was awesome. So I think Bioware nailed that the most. Like they've been great at characters and character development, but I think Mass Effect was where they really hit it out of the park for me. And mm-hmm. um, that's the thing that that sort of holds up the best. A couple of quick little little ones as well, and then I'll throw it over to you. But like, yeah, the dialogue wheel, which we sort of touched on here and there already, the, the morality rating with Paragon and Renegade, I really liked that there was this, you know, it's not just a pure good or bad response. It's, you know, if you wanted to be a little bit brash, you know, I wanted to be a little bit brunt, uh, blunt or as you said, you know, go go Wu-Tang on these guys. You know, you could be as, as straighty 180 or as sort of snarky and, and wisecracky as you like. So I like that you could sort of change your thought processes on the fly and that wouldn't break you down or build you up in the one you see that renegade and paragon level just adjusting slowly each time you know i like that you could sort of uh, see the weighting of what you said and it's not exactly like a a good and evil no you've got the fallout games and some of these other games where it's like or or like an infamous for example it's like am i going to be good or evil and in this game it's like are you going to be a badass or are you going to be like diplomatic yeah and it's they're both like usually good sometimes the renegade one is kind of like oh let all these people die so that we can you know put our mission first or whatever and that kind of maybe that is a bit more evil (laughs) but it's like uh it both of them are are valid options and i think that's why like bioware was so disappointed to say like eight percent of people picked those renegade options for all the 
effort that they put into writing like this almost the second game as yeah. far as all the dialogue goes. I, I guess people were just so trained that they, they read that as you know blue is good red is evil so they just went you know what i don't want to be an evil character i'm just going to go paragon 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 the whole time but mm. when you see that it is more based on attitude and, and they're both in the gray for different reasons it really shapes how you can play and then the other part just the soundtrack to this game like it's so like it's it's, it's great here, yeah. yeah like jack wall and sam holwick put it together and it's just like 80s electronic and there's orchestra in the back end and parts of it it's very like blade runner-esque the soundtrack and it's just it's so great like and very distinctive depending on the planet you go into the missions that you're tackling it's all very unique and it just sort of accompanies everything else in the game really really well yeah, that like galaxy map music that's the same throughout the whole series. Mm-hmm. It's just like ingrained into my brain. The boop, 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 boop. Like it's just <laughs> so 80s. It's just, yeah, it's awesome. Now, they're all really good responses. Uh, I, I'm with you there. Like the world building to start with, like the way that they've handled lore in this game is so good because it's incredibly deep. Like, there's this codec that I never read. But every time you talk to someone, something gets added to it. And you can go in there and read like the entire history of this universe if you want to. But if you don't want to, because you'd rather just play the game, it's all like referenced there. And knowing it now, because I've played the game so many times and all three of them, when I, when you hear someone mention like the Hanar or the Elcor and this is why they do this, this or that... I have that knowledge from playing it so many times, but even going back to the start, it was all thought of from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And I really think that that's such a cool way to do it. And some games like bash you over the head with lore. And because it's all there in the codec, it's kind of just all optional, I think, which is which is cool. Yeah, and, and you're presented with enough information in this world organically anyway. You don't have to go into those codecs. But if you just want to go that layer deeper and get some additional information that's there for you. So you don't have to feel like you're reading through text on a screen to, to get the full experience. You're going to get that full experience during your your playthrough. But then if you want to take that next step, it's there for you as well, which I think is really well done. Yeah. And so from like the storytelling side of things, I think the pacing for this game is fantastic. You mentioned before how quickly the crew comes together. And I think that is really just done so well because the game starts it kicks off you know you get introduced to uh to shepherd as like this you know awesome war hero or whatever whichever way you decided to to pick as the backstory Mm -hmm. and then first mission you know you, you touch the the beacon you get the vision and that kind of sets off the whole chain of events and within 60 or 90 minutes you've recruited this freakish looking awesome like krogan warrior and yeah. this this uh you know garrus the the turian who's like this weird bird looking alien thing and it's just like already you've got like the master class in character design where everyone looks so different from each other and it's like the blue kind of exotic asari yeah. there with their their special powers and it's like everyone being so different from each other makes it work so well and that's really how how I want to see a crew assembled in a video game. It's why that Caden and Ashley are just like like get rid of them because they're just yeah. vanilla white people who have just like inter- interchange them with anyone and it wouldn't they wouldn't stand out at all. Yeah. So no no interest in having them. You want someone that looks you know a bit different. I think and and they they 
they sort of lay that foundation with one and then just really, really want run with it with yes. two and three, like the characters you Absolutely. get introduced to and, and just the, the focus on all these other alien races instead of, yeah, the generic human humanoid that we, we, you know, play in just about every game. It's awesome. But um, yeah, shout out to Jenkins too, who gets killed off instantly on that first <laughs> mission. You know, you're like, oh, some good commander. You, you send him down like onto the beachfront then just pew, 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 and he's gone. And you're like, oh, right Yeah, Yeah, what, what happened to his shields? <laughs> yeah, he had none. He didn't turn them on. <laughs> Yeah. Oops. Yeah. Ran out of battery. <laughs> Forgot to bring his battery pack. Yeah. Oh, well. Um, at, so the other one I w- wanted to mention for holding up well was like the sense of exploration that you get in this game. Uh, I don't know about games of, of this period, but like when, when playing this, I just wanted to run into every nook and cranny of the Citadel and find all the, all the seekers and like just talk to everyone. And then, you know, you do land on these uncharted planets and even though the mako kind of sucks and they did improve the controls for it a bit we'll get into that probably in the next question but it's it's so fun to like explore and find like okay here's like some ruins and here's like a you know the mummified remains of a of a solarian which i you know at that point in the game you might not even have come across a solarian so you're like oh what's this and what's that and just kind of like finding minerals and you know, not it's a half-baked idea in a sense because there was nothing to do with a lot of these resources. It was just kind of to fill out like a quest log. It was more the second and third games where you could, you know, upgrade the Normandy and upgrade mm-hmm. your weapons and all these things with what you find along the way. But for a game as old as it is, I felt like that was handled fairly well. Yeah, I think it did did great. Like landing on on some of these little planets in in these random subsystems, and and yeah, cruising around the Mako and finding yeah down satellites for for the admiral and things like that, or, or finding random random sort of uh, decrepit bases and going in and getting getting a little mm-hmm. unrelated bit of backstory that like it's not going to change the game, but it just adds just this this just sense of excitement you know it's got this nice like exploration thing where you it, it pays to get off the beaten track and jump onto these planets that don't have any direct impact into the mainline story but you'll mm. you'll you'll learn and get rewarded along the way and um and, yeah, yeah and I, the world feels so big because of it yeah and i'm happy they've they've um streamlined the mining processes on these planets too no longer scanning the planets and, and dropping probes down and things like that it's just you select that planet and um if you can uh scan it and mine it you just press the uh the a or the x button and away you go yeah there'll be plenty of probing in mass effect 2 when you, <laughs> when you get to it <laughs> i just did the um the soul system where you can probe uranus yeah and the the AI, I can't remember if it's ED or just the the general AI is like really Commander. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, what holds up the worst? This is a game from two thousand seven, so not everything is going to translate into you know what is effectively two console generations later. Um, I, I think we're on. I, I didn't add like any time that you had something I already agree with, I just didn't put it twice. So sure. so some of the ones that you mentioned, I'll agree with there too, but ones that weren't on your short list, some of the, the facial animations and, and expressions are still a little bit, uh, how you doing? Like it is an old mm-hmm. game and they did improve some of the, the character models and the textures and things, but occasionally it was just like uh, Shepard was looking all kinds of bizarre 
especially when there's a, when there's sort of a camera looking up towards him and his eyebrows get somehow swallowed by like the the <laughs> like the eye sockets and things at times. So I'm like, oh, this is a bit weird. You know what's going on here? So some of the animations were were still a bit strange, even movement occasionally, like where I'd I'd skip through a couple of random um, discussion points with an NPC oh. and I'd go through too quick, but somehow Commander Shepard would be locked in that conversation. So I'd try and walk away, but then he's like looking at them still. So I'm like moonwalking backwards, <laughs> stuck trying to end this scene, which I've already ended. So there was a few times like that where I'm like, whoa, hang on a second, was, a bit broken there here. Some, there were some weird things. Like every time you approach Kaiden or Caden, whatever his name is, um, it gives you like a three second, like sidle up towards him animation and then he turns and looks at you and because it's so slow and awkward it almost feels like there's like sexual tension Mm -hmm. regardless of whether you're romancing him it's like he's looking at you and he like stares at you for three seconds before he says anything and having to look at that every single time you interact is kind of like oh this again um but yeah the jankiness of those facial animations is i guess something that they was going to be way too much work to go back and touch up every single one. Yeah. It's more like they, they went back and fixed the lighting to make people look better and stuff like that, which it like you look at it and it doesn't look like a PS3, Xbox 360 game. It looks, I guess, more like an early, I want to say it's like an early PS4 game, I think. Yeah, for the most at, part. at times, like there were moments where. I found myself in awe of the, these graphical enhancements. And then other times I'm like, this just feels like I'm playing on my Xbox 360. And you know, that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Like had a great game and the graphics weren't a, a negative uh, impact to my experience. Like I still adored this this second run through on the Xbox Series X. But yeah, some some of the animations were a little bit off here and there. The controls, uh, whether it be whether it be driving the Mako, they, they did make some enhancements and improvements to the steering of that thing it still sucked but yep. you know whatever but then even Some just games still use that so, like borderlands 3 has uh vehicles that still have the like left stick to go forward and that kind of thing yeah i, I just don't like those mechanics you know but i'm not a game de- developer so i'm gonna sort of <laughs> leave that opinion at the door but then just the controls in combat like just ability management squad management weapon management like the fact that uh hitting y or triangle to change weapons it is only going to jump between two instead of the four like with one you're allowed to like they've opened it up now where no matter what class you can use assault rifles snipers shotguns mm-hmm. pistols but you're only when you're pressing the, the sort of the quick swap button it's just going to cycle between two which is frustrating uh being only to, being only able to map one ability to a button sucks yeah. too so even though you're in the heat of the heat of this battle and you're hiding and you know cover firing and popping abilities here and there, you're like, hang on, I'm gonna press RB or R1 now and jump in, cycle to there, hit that for this person, cycle there, hit that to that, let go of the button, watch that play out. Okay, now I'm gonna do it again. Hold it in again, cycle there. So it sort of breaks up the game flow a little bit for me. So that was a little bit annoying. Hmm. But um they're the main ones, and then the uh, one other quick quick shout out to the uh, the, the the vision that Shepard has when he touches touches the old uh, Prothean, and you get like this eighties nineties horror cut mixing in like real real cinematography of like real humans with like horror scenes and like monster teeth and all this. Like it felt like it was something out of like I was watching Hellraiser, and like it cracked <laughs> me up every time that you they cut back to that that vision that he had and or she had and. Uh, it's great, but it's bad at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, on on the controls, like I hate having to hold down X for for me. I don't know what it is on Xbox. Sorry, to to run. I, like I'm just, yeah, so to hold that down to run, and then having like the stamina run out. And, oh, that's and, another and, thing. Especially You've when got you're on no like stamina. Like <laughs> especially when you're on a level like the Citadel, where there's no combat essentially and you just have to like run slowly instead of sprint i'm pretty That's sure though like in mass effect one you couldn't run at the citadel it was just like a brisk walk the whole time so they added the ability to run i think oh, okay for the legendary edition so but then yeah for like six seconds i've, I've got better stamina than than commander shepherd like this war hero that's proven <laughs> and he's a killing machine and he's a fitness fanatic he runs for five seconds and he's gassed i'm like maybe like that should have increased as your level increases, but no, that's it. You know, you're mm. good for a burst and that's it. So that's frustrating to me. Yeah, that's still there in the second one, but there's no meter for it anymore. So you just, you don't know, like, <laughs> you don't know that it's going to run out. So apart from not being able to, I would have liked to be able to remap that to like holding like the modern kind of L3, like pushing the trigger to sprint kind of thing. But I understand like, that's used for other things in the future games. It's used to to pinpoint like a a waypoint, like mm-hmm. a compass to tell you which direction to go. That doesn't exist in the first game. And I found that really frustrating. You're, you're doing a quest and you're trying to find which direction you're supposed to go. And sometimes these, it's not like always a completely linear path. And you just have to guess. And there's not like, you know, it'll it'll be like go to this planet and find like, you know, a, a guy outside this marketplace and you just have to f- figure out where the marketplace is mm-hmm. without the aid of like a map or with anything to, to tell you like where this person is you just have to kind of wander around so i would have really liked to them to add i guess some kind of waypoints especially on the galaxy map when you basically have to go into your journal and look at the mission, yeah. look at what planet it's on, look at what system it's in, and then go there, find it on the map. Instead of like, as they implemented in the second one, like it'll have the name of the system and underneath it'll list the missions that you can do yeah. in that area. It's so helpful in two. Like that was a yeah. frustration for me in one where I'd constantly like, I wasn't paying enough attention when I'd look in the journal for the for the, the planet and whatever else. So I'd, I'd then jo- go back into the galaxy map. I'm scanned. I'm like, oh crap, what was it again? Hang on. Go out of the galaxy map, back into the journal. Okay, that's the one I got to go to. Okay, and get there again. It's, you know, the, the load time improvements were great, especially mm-hmm. for the galaxy traversal and uh, the the uh, elevator experiences. That was a lot quicker and being able to skip through some of that that dialogue and, and interaction on those elevators was great, but it was still a little bit rough at times. Yeah, the the elevators being there are really like vestigial elements of a, like a a time where they were needed for those loading times. Whereas now, they just feel like they're stuck with them because they were implemented for a purpose that doesn't need to be there anymore. Uh, I was surprised that there was loading points just going between the systems like not even going between the planets mm-hmm. um but i guess again that's just the way the game was was built at the time the, the only other like we're talking i guess now now about like system issues with the the way that the you know the game design was put together the checkpoints were really frustrating sometimes as well where you know you'd be in the middle of a mission and you'd make a decision like okay see you, ashley you're done for i'm picking the other guy and then like you might die within that quest and it 
puts you all the way back to the conversation at the start Mm -hmm. of that cutscene, and then you have to decide again okay i said see you ashley get out of here you're done for and then you go through it all again uh it happened a few times to me and it was kind of frustrating especially if it was a, a, a particularly like tough fight that or you know you just happen to die a few times and have that again or if you were doing a mission like you know you land on a, a planet it's a side mission and there's no save points for the entire <laughs> mission and you get to like near the end and then you're like crap now i have to drive in the mako which sucks already to the mm-hmm. you know the base or whatever it is get in there shoot everyone outside take out the turrets go in <sighs> It's just so much when it would just make sense that when you change rooms, like, you know, you enter a new setting yeah. and have to load in that new setting, you just assume with modern, you know, progress that we've made. Auto save yeah. right there. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's not, it wasn't to be. And even like, again, I'm not much of a game developer. I technically am a game developer, but, um, I don't know why they wouldn't have implemented some more robust autosaves for this remake. I guess it's being true to the to the original. Yeah, it's true. You, you feel that same pain and sense of exhaustion where, yeah, you push through a massive big section of this game and then you die and then you spun right back to the beginning. You say, oh my mm. God. I don't know if I have it in me again. <laughs> we've been... We've, I can't quit you, Caden. We've had our you. hands held for too long, I guess. It's one, it's one of the yeah. things, like when we talk about these things that haven't aged well, it's it's really more a celebration of how far games have come since 2007, in a way. Yeah, That's true. That's true. So because this is a book club, I thought we should talk about some of the themes of Mass Effect. So mm-hmm. what do you feel like are the prevailing themes that you took away from your time with this uh, experience? I, th- I think the biggest one in Mass Effect is racism. And, and you've sort of met with that right from the get-go where where you're obviously trying to be the next Spectre and the Turians have got a clear distaste towards humanity. Mm. And, you know, they're, they're, there's a lot of uh, tension and, and lack of trust and hostility amongst the races. And, like, the uh, the council is is a mixture of alien races, but they don't have, uh, you know, they don't have human representation in this group of key decision makers. So this is a big thing for humanity where in most of the games, you know, you see humanity's the the big go-getter and the leader of the universe. But in this, we're almost like the poor cousin, you know, we're coming up through the ranks and and we're still one of the lesser developed races. So there's a lot of racism in that regard. And, and it's not just sort of aliens looking towards the the humans. Obviously, you, you have some pretty intense discussions and, and hearing how Ashley has just grown up in this this military family and, you know, she's been racist since a great-grandpappy pretty much, you know? <laughs> like, she does not feel too positive towards the the aliens and having them on board the Normandy and can't trust yeah. them and can't let them in and show them all, the, all these military secrets and rah-rah-rah. So racism is probably the biggest one for me. And um, another theme, just thinking back to sort of at the time what this, what the like what Bioware did and especially for a big AAA is like they they sort of really jumped into the the sexual orientation side of of this this game and this journey where you can play as a gay or a straight character or you can uh you know romance characters that are both in this game 
And so having that choice in such a big AAA game where you can follow whatever sexual orientation you wanted, that was really big for the game as a whole. Like it doesn't play a huge part in the the core moment-to-moment narrative of Mass Effect, but I thought what that did for this game as a whole and just the risk and I guess the big step forward that Bioware took in that regard. And you see a lot in, in sort of um, future titles with Dragon mm. Age and then followed through and obviously the, the other Mass Effect titles. For its time, it was really big. It was really big. And um, as a 21-year-old male seeing that in a video game for the first time, it really stood out to me like, wow, these guys are taking a stand here and doing something really different. You know, it's not just a straight straight male-female relationship here. You can, you can romance... Uh, same sex you can romance aliens you know like love is love is what this game's sort of saying and it's trying to sort of i guess have a nice nice light sitting atop of the the constant racism and hostility between the uh, the races out there human or alien or otherwise <laughs> yeah yeah I, I think it was more the future sequels that touched more into that same sex kind of thing i don't think the male shep could romance any males in this game it, i think it was just now, nah, Caden, you can? you can romance Caden. Okay. Yep, there you go. I didn't realize. I knew that like the Femme Shep could romance the Asari, which technically isn't female, as she points out in the game. But she's yeah, she's pretty much androgynous, yeah. really. Um, okay, yeah, interesting. Um, they definitely gave you more options as time went on. Um, yep. And yeah, it's cool that you. I guess I guess it's cool that you can romance like Garrus and you know whoever else, even though they are weird looking but if that's your thing okay um mm-hmm. everyone everyone's horny for garris everyone I, loves garris i don't see it personally but uh whatever floats your alien boat um <laughs> the, the race things I, i'm glad that you that you mentioned that because i had that as well it's something where even other members of the ship because it's a, an alliance ship primarily humans mm-hmm. they have the same views i can't remember his name who's like uh, on the left of the galaxy map, he's like a uh, a map kind of like navigator or something. Oh yeah. Um, anyway, is that the admiral? Is that no, no, no? He, that's he's uh... just you only kind of talk to him in the once at the start. Yeah. But anyway, um, in the second, so so he's kind of like, oh, what's with all these aliens you're bringing on the ship? And then the, in the second game, obviously spoilers for Mass Effect Two, at the beginning of the game, the ship is destroyed and mm-hmm. he um is well the, the uh, some of the crew don't make it and you can go to the wreck of the normandy and find dog tags and there's like a data pad from that guy and the the entries in his journal are talking about how he started off with this kind of prejudice view towards aliens but by the end of you know your his adventures with commander shepherd He's he's like I would die for anyone on this ship. Like these these aliens yeah. are all right, basically, um, and that's really cool that they that they go that way. And it, you know, you mentioned the council. It's not just like the humans that are looked down upon. Like the Volus race don't have any one on the council. Mm-hmm. The Elcor are overlooked, and the Hanar are overlooked, and all the different like the Salarians hate the Krogans, and the Krogans hate the uh well they hate everyone but the the turians and they have this history of wars with each other and it kind of reminded me of reminds me of like lord of the rings how you got the elves and the dwarves and they kind of at each other but then like they kind of band together and overcome their differences so that's a a, it is a really cool thing so for the for the theme i kind of had unity because commander shepherd brings these people together and like throughout the game 
you know, it's about what's best for the galaxy, saving the galaxy or the the world. My my astro- ast- astronomy is not the best. I was going to say so. The Milky Way. <laughs> well, it goes beyond that, isn't it? What, what's bigger than the solar? I guess it is the galaxy. So it's saving the universe from from the collectors and the reapers and whatever. It's not just about humans. Uh, and it, you know, as much as like Cerberus is about humankind and 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 you know the citadels, this this place where everyone comes together. So I think that it is, you know, it's cool to see that as a uh, unifying um thing throughout the series uh that's yeah that's probably the main thing that i took away especially since i saved the the council at the end of the game (laughs) they're all dead they're all dead in my on my on both my playthroughs my og one from 07 and my current 2021 run they are dead (laughs) twice okay um so we've talked about this already but where can you see the influence of mass effect now that you know we've got 14 years of hindsight and I think a lot of developers have been influenced by the way this game came out. Yeah, I think that's a tough one. Like, yeah, the the storytelling I think is one big one. I think, like, as you mentioned, we we sort of covered this off indirectly a few times in some of the other discussion, and just just the the focus that Bioware had on character development and uh, voice acting discussion. Too. And voice, yeah, the voice acting was on point. Like we didn't even talk about the cast that was behind uh, Mass Effect and the subsequent sequels as well. Like they had some some big names in there, like like Lance Hendrickson, science fiction royalty in there as Admiral Hackett, like Keith David as as Captain Anderson, stuff like that. Um, some really big names in there. You already mentioned earlier as well, like with Jennifer Hale, who's who's video game voiceover royalty or even just voiceover royalty in general. She does yeah. a lot of cartoon work and things too. So yeah, they, they really sort of uh, put a lot of time and money and respect into character development. And I think that was a big thing that stood out for me. Like there were big narrative games that give, gave you a complete experience. But like when you compare it to something like a say, like Bioshock that came out in the same year, it was... It's a phenomenal game, one of the greatest games of all time. But most of that storytelling was done through faceless recordings, you know, like you'd get live audio, but you wouldn't see facial animations. You wouldn't get to know these characters outside of a voice or reading a journal entry and things. So it really stood apart from a from a narrative character development, mainline story development perspective. And yeah, everyone at Bioware, like Casey Hudson was heading this thing up at the time and like, you know, props to the team involved in making this thing feel like a science fiction space opera. Like this was as close to playing a Star Wars game without playing a Star Wars game. Like I know there's plenty of Star Wars games out there, don't get me wrong, like, and, and they've done really well, like KOTOR and stuff like that. Great storytelling, great RPG elements, but this was like that next step for mm. me as far as storytelling in a video game in a science fiction world. And it really, really stood alone. And... um I loved it. I loved the the Paragon and the Renegade thing was another big one where it doesn't have to be a good or a bad thing. You know, you can you can operate in the gray. It's not just being evil or a saint. You you can react in certain ways and it doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. You're just making that decision to to ascend and work your way through these troubles. Mm. So uh yeah, it's it's a tough one. Like it's tough to to nail it down to specific references yeah. like as far as influences like I've seen things like um, 
like with sort of with Stranger Things, I wrote down just as because seeing what what Zero and Eleven are from Stranger Things, they're pretty much the exact same character. You know, they're they're taken away and they're experimented on, and and you know they're they're superhuman people that are that are damaged and trying to come back to reality, and and you see some of that type of influence there. But I don't know, I don't know. What did, what did you have? You got anything else um, uh, that you want to share? As yeah, far as, I mean, um, we should shout out to, to Bioware for, you know, this wasn't their first attempt at this kind of, of game. Like KOTOR, as you mentioned, no. and KOTOR 2 had, had been the similar kind of in-depth, you know, a lot of dialogue, you know, building a world. So all that stuff was there. I guess the technology had improved enough that they could make it a bit more cinematic in this game. and But... Yeah, as far as how this influenced future games, I think the way that they pulled all those elements together, you know, the morality, the the character development, like doing it at this AAA level, you know, we've played games with cutscenes, you know, there's Metal Gear Solids and, and, and games like that, but to have that level of a cutscene mixed with all the RPG elements and making the dialogue options, you know, the dialogue options that I was used to making were way more static and like, like maybe it was like, you know, like a Grim Fandango or that kind of game where it's, you know, you, you, there's dialogue options to get information or to, to, to talk through a situation, but it's not like changing the future of this world. And I think that branching narrative where the decisions you make have an effect later in that game, but also in sequels is such a cool yeah, idea. Yeah, future games too. Um, to see them do it with, with, you know, not just, you know, something smaller like a Telltale game, which is kind of uh, more bottlenecked where things head towards the same result and a character might live or die. There's like side characters in this game, like random side mission that you can help and then it pops up two games later when you're trying to build like resources to to go to war with the galaxy so they really had like a long-term vision in this and i think that's really cool Mm -hmm. um i think the the assortment of characters you know the kind of uh like the motley crew that they that you pull together i think that that uh not not that this was the first game to do it but to see them do it in such a cool way, I think that definitely influenced the way that a lot of uh, writers would design characters in the future. Um, but yeah, pinpointing like this game was influenced by this game is is hard to to, to do. I think it's just a, a general thing that you know the success of Man Mass Effect across the six years or whatever that the three came out is just impossible to ignore in RPGs that take place in this big world like i'm sure the witcher was influenced by it and i'm sure that you know cyberpunk and and fallout and all these games that that work in that space have taken bits and pieces from a game like this that also took bits and pieces from those games that came before it like the witcher one and witcher two had a save that you could transfer over so that your decisions you know cross through so you know they weren't the first to do it but i feel like they may have been the first that I know know of that did it at such a high triple A level. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there. I, I think yeah, Bioware took a few risks and it, and it certainly paid off and and tried some new things at the time, and they just they just nailed it from from the jump and and just like what you mentioned the these small nothing discussions or nothing side missions that 
are just throwaway in Mass Effect One that you you can forget about, and then two games later, you know, there's there's a flow on effect to that. Like it's so great that that they've sort of connected all these little dots and brought the the trail of breadcrumbs to to various resolutions and, and sort of follow ups. I, I really love that attention to detail, and and also just by creating a sci fi world that is something that you can take seriously i think is is has a lot of influence like there's been so many sci-fi games where they're like you know you've played outriders recently anthem was a game obviously it was bioware again but there's games i often play these games and i'm like this feels like bioshock like they're not, not bioshock this feels like mass effect where they're trying to like yeah show this world and it might just be that you know first contact with aliens and this is what happens after it and it's um it's not like a kitschy kind of campy sci-fi, like a. No, yeah, it's, it's mature. mature. It's, it's mature, it's and and your decisions have weight, and you you feel a wave of emotions playing this game. Like, there's parts where, you know, there's some there's some zingers and some humorous moments. There's really depressing moments. There's really proud machismo bravado moments. There's there's moments there, like I remember during my playthrough in these games, where like I actually shed tears with some of the decisions that I made or. If, if I made a bad decision and lost a crew member, like I remember in the suicide mission mm. in my first run through and that, I didn't have all the the relevant things stitched up in the back end. So seeing my, some of these crew members die that I'd grown attached to for 20, 30, 40, whatever hours, like is heartbreaking. And there's not many games out there that can make you feel those things. Yeah, absolutely. I was the same, like picking the wrong task for them to do <laughs> in that mission mm-hmm. leads to a death or something. It's like, ah, oh, crap. Do I load my save? Yeah. Anyway. All right. Uh, we're moving on to what we're calling the Morden Solace Omni Tool Award for, well, for Comedy Rewind listeners will know we usually do the Steve Buscemi Spark Plug Award to highlight, you know, the bit actor that comes in, lights up the screen, and then disappears. The the closest, uh, you know, analogy we could come up with was, you know, the Omni tool being the spark plug in this sense and Morden Solace being that character in Mass Effect 2 who, you know, he's he's pretty essential to the story, uh, but he's not like the main character or anything. He's very much like sometimes comic relief, sometimes he's like the, uh, he's pushing the story forward, but regardless, he's, he's someone that deserves to have the award named after him, I think. He's so great. I love Warden Solace and, and he's one of my favorite characters in this entire Mass Effect universe. Like I love my time mm. with him and yeah, I'm, I'm very happy to see him uh, be, be named for this yeah. prestigious award. That's for sure. So let's look at our nominees. Um, the first person that came to mind for me was Rex because I love Rex. I, I think that he's so mm-hmm. fun. I think the Krogans are so fun as a, a race in this game, the way that they just you know they're just so physical and they're like the bullies of the of the world of this universe really um and rex is you know a character that isn't afraid to like obviously butt heads with with shepherd and even threaten to kill you at one stage because he's Mm -hmm. so passionate about the genophage and the future of his race and you know the krogans uh but he's also kind of got is it too much to say a heart of gold? I don't know, but <laughs> no, he's, he's got he's got some um, some niceness mm. behind all that that tough hard exterior that he uh, parades around with. He's a very no nonsense character, but he I, I constantly found myself with Rex and then in future games with Grunt as as an often a, a member of my my mm-hmm. fire teams, and 
I'm with you. He's he's one of the most memorable characters for me, especially in Mass Effect One. So I think he's worthy yeah. of a nomination. That's it, for it sure. It reminded me, especially with his voice of Drax in Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's that very yeah. dry delivery, and uh, you know, a different perspective compared to like humans because of 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 being a Krogan. But um, mm-hmm. in in the you know the traditional sense of this award, it's it's usually someone that's not like relied on too much. They're kind of just in the background and popping up, and every time they pop up, it's a memorable experience. And that's why I think Joker might actually be the the best recipient for this, because that character, you know, you can go a really long time without actually going up to the cockpit and talking to Joker, because he's not, you know, a character that you can romance or anything like that. So he's not like super essential from that perspective but he is you know at the start and at the end of every mission just popping up with a little quip here or there and uh you know seth green's delivery as joker is like perfect you know it's it's Mm -hmm. literally perfect to me right down to like when you say goodbye to him you know like you end a conversation and he's just like yeah whatever like he's just kind of like trails off like in a very natural like realistic way um and to to the point where like i wish that they actually animated this character to look like seth green As it's seth just like green, you just yeah. can't get seth green out of your head when you hear him talk um I, you could say the same about like david anderson with keith david it's like i just wish it looked like keith david because he's got such a yeah he just needs that <laughs> that nice tight goatee or beard that keith david sort of frequented over the years such a great voice because yeah the, the character model for david anderson isn't always yeah. the best um that's that's Got sort of we'll, we'll say we won't say any more on that <laughs> but yeah what <coughs> what do you think for this one I'm, I'm with you like it's and and i had the exact same impression with with joker or jeff moreau mm-hmm. as he's uh more formally known as like it is very much seth green playing seth green but known as joker like uh he 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 jumps into that role and he embraces it and he has fun with the character and, and some of the little little sort of uh, jabs and, and sort of uh, jokes that you share between Shepard and Joker throughout this game and, and the future sequels is really great. And you have, you have like a little bit of a, sort of like a little brother bond with him at times, it felt yeah. like with some of the things you say, like, you know, he, he sort of ribs on you where not many people on the, on the Normandy really do sort of talk that way to you for the most part the rest of the other sort of mainline ship crew are very straighty 180 you know yes commander shepherd yeah. whatever you like where where joker's just being himself and having fun and the fact that he is sort of your first and last port of call for all these missions uh is nice so you do get that continuity there and then it continues through with some great banter and discussion uh afterwards on on the flight deck as well so yeah i'd, I'd put my my vote behind joker for this one i love your rex mm. but uh yeah i think Joker's more memorable and more more suited to the uh the modern solace omni omni tool very award good, very good all right congratulations to seth green i guess put it next to your nickelodeon kids award or whatever else is on the shelf well deserved yeah. young man uh does mass effect pass the internet relevancy test via memes and gifs so this is a tough one for me because as a series as a whole i would say yes especially Mass Effect 2. Like there's a whole, there's been tons of memes that I know of that are connected to it. Um, Especially the, you know, assuming direct control and uh, my favorite Mm -hmm. store in the Citadel. I couldn't think of anything you might 
remember because you were playing the game when it came out, but I couldn't remember anything specifically from this game that is internet relevant still. Yeah, not not really. Like I did see a sort of a meme or a graphic circulating not long after this game came out that played on the Han Solo Princess Leia I love you, I know, where they did the, the Paragon and Renegade options. Right. With that, where the I know was the pure Renegade <laughs> answer. I saw that kicking around, which made yeah. me laugh. Yeah. But outside now that of you that... Mention it, the, the Paragon Renegade thing might be enough to get this across the line because that this is where it starts and that's something that's popped up definitely. Even just referenced. Like, like yeah. I remember seeing a tweet from like a musician that I'm a big fan of and it was like, you know, this is probably five years ago which is well after Mass Effect came out. But he was like, when you get up today, are you going to be a Paragon or are you going to be a Renegade? And I was just like, hey, this guy's yeah. making a Mass Effect reference. Um, so yeah, I think being the first game in a series that's very relevant, then we can say yes. Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. No, it, it carries. It's still yeah. relevant. All right. And I guess the Mako, like people reference the Mako all the time as like oh. an example of what not to do when it comes to mm-hmm. controlling... A ship. Okay. Could you make Mass Effect today and what would the 2021 version be? So I think Andromeda comes into this conversation a little bit. There were things about that game that were great. The fact that you had a jetpack is the one that I remember that you could actually jump over a barrier instead of just... Yeah, had a bit of verticality, a bit of traversal. The movement was fluid and then using that, uh, that charge ability I love so much, just zipping around the battlefield in conjunction with that jetpack was mm. awesome. Um, it's tough to say because obviously they, last year uh, in 2020, they they announced that there's a sequel in the works. You know, there was nothing more than a short little hype trailer. Didn't give anything away. Didn't see any characters. It was just a, you know, a couple of, couple of nods to, to the, the original trilogy. So there is a 2020X version on the way, but like, I don't think if they if they sort of rebuilt this game or did something similar, like I don't think it would change too much, to be honest. Like the, the version we got in 2007, which we're funnily enough getting now anyway mm-hmm. through this uh, Legendary Edition, I think it's fine. Like I think it still carries enough weight to be, to be a game that's positively spoken about in this year amongst all the other releases. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of ways that you could modernize it and just make it feel better but overall yeah i think what they built between this and mass effect 3 i I wish there were more games like it like i wish there was a star like i know there's knights of the old republic but i wish there was a star wars game that was mass effect with that depth and that performance and that type of combat that's more you know cover shooter mixed with controlling biotic powers and that kind of thing it would be so much fun to play that way it's 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 like a D campaign you know like we, we've got han rolled mm. first and we've all got our different characters and different alien species and it would just be so fun to to roll around the universe with you know instead of a krogan you got the wookie and instead of the asari you've got you know the twi'lek or whatever it is and i just think that it would be a no-brainer really it's just a shame that the ea and bioware seem to have gone in such a strange direction with the game's not really working yeah, yeah. I, I guess the closest we'd get currently would be like the outer worlds you know but even then most of your crew's humanoid anyway yeah. so yeah even though you are out in space and dealing with alien creatures and stuff you can have a 
like an AI robot with you, but the rest of them are all, all human uh, sort of party members, which is a bit of a missed opportunity there, I think. So yeah, like I think everyone loves science fiction. Everyone loves RPGs. So if you could take the best parts of Mass Effect and chuck it into something, like you mentioned Outriders earlier, mm-hmm. it's got some of these same beats where it's a it's a cover shooter with abilities and and a couple of squad mates. Those squad mates are actually other real humans and not NPCs. So you don't control them and micromanage them, but there is some nods to that original combat style and science fiction love that you see from Mass Effect. Nowhere near as executed as well, mind you, like Outriders is okay, but Mass Effect, just the storytelling and, you know, everything we've talked about as far as praising it the last hour and a bit, just it makes it stand alone. Like there's very few franchises that I think can go toe to toe with Mass Effect as a trilogy or a four pack if you want to include Andromeda um, as far as the sum of all its parts. Yeah. One thing that I noticed as I was playing through missions was there's not a lot of dialogue between your party as you go through. Occasionally someone will say something or there's like a, a you know, you can interact with like a, a view and then that like or a certain environmental thing and you'll talk to one of the other characters about it but in the way that you know god of war and the last of us and these more modern cinematic games have built that continued dialogue throughout all the all the action like i feel like there's Mm -hmm. a, a lot of ways to build on that in this game that's missing maybe they do that in three been a few years since i played it but i think that that would be a a big thing to make it even like even more full than what it already is yeah there is some some hollow moments in the game that's for sure especially like even even if there was a bit of back and forth or or more just dialogue when you're in the mako or or when you are taking down enemies you you will have a, a, a squad member say something directed towards Shepard but there isn't any back and forth where if it's Liara and and Rex or something there isn't some some continued discussion with them off to the side to just build out this world and make a little more lived in a little more alive so yeah it was certainly certainly one of the like thinking about it now like it wasn't something that I thought too heavy of in the past week or so but there is moments where there was downtime or just mindless shooting and ability popping with no no dialogue, no lines for a while. So it would certainly um, add to those add to those moments and uh, flesh that world out even more. Yeah. And there's also moments where like a big thing happens in a cutscene, and then it goes back to the you know you can control the character again, and it's really disjointed because there's no like it, nothing carries into the action. It's just like back to gameplay, and that's something that would definitely be adjusted now so that it. You know, maybe they talk about it for the next couple of sequences. Yeah, especially after some of like the boss battles. Yeah. Um, it's really like that. You take down this big bad and then you watch them just awkwardly crumble onto the ground and then it yeah cuts back to a weird character discussion that just is, is not even sort of directly related to what just happened. Like the, the <laughs> Sarum fight at the end when he becomes, you know, uh, full like alien hive mind Sarum and you kill him and he just like crumbles like, Man! and then they're just like, oh. Cool. Right let's, let's go grab the a worst one was when liara kills her own mother and then and then yeah. she's just like there they have their moment and then it's like all right where's the you know the the 
tool that I have to interact with the console to open the door. And you can like talk to Liara and she'll be like, gee, it's cold outside or something like that. Mm. It's like, your mom just died. Like, where's the continuity? Yeah, there's just a real immersion (laughs) break there. There's no continuity between this big emotional moment and how that character would actually be feeling and interact in that moment. And that's just... Like I could have mentioned that under what's what holds up the worst, I guess. It's just something that's aged. But, you know, in general, yes, I, I can't wait for a new Mass Effect to come out, even though, you know, I'm just hoping the backlash against the Andromeda points them, and, and Anthem as, as, as well, points them back to what this type of game was before. Um, I, I guess we're going we're gonna to experience what their visions are indirectly through the next Dragon Age, because it looks like it's further down the development yeah. cycle. And... And it follows similar beats, like it's got similar similar uh, narrative build, world building, character building, uh, cause and effect sort of mechanics and things like that. So we will see that, albeit in a, in a medieval fantasy mm. space instead of uh, futuristic sci-fi. But we'll see if they're on the right track with that. Um, when do you, when do you think this new Mass Effect is going to come out? Like it's twenty twenty one now. Do you envision seeing this before say twenty twenty five? I reckon around twenty four twenty five. If if okay. Do we know when Dragon Age is out? I think from what I've seen around the traps next year. Asterix. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know how long these types of games take. So 25 feels best to me at this point. But who knows? Um, Dragon Age, for some reason, the same team making it, it just doesn't hit for me. Like I tried Inquisition earlier this year and the pacing is just... And the combat is just completely not mass effects even though it's obviously not going to be the same because it's fantasy versus sci-fi but it's just there's there's a little x factor that's missing for me and i don't know i might be Mm. in the minority with that but i feel like mass effect is way more popular than dragon age yeah i'd I'd take if you had a gun to my head and had to pick one of those (laughs) franchises I'd be taking mass effect 10 times out of 10 like dragon age is phenomenal and i love that that world as well but Mass Effect just hits me differently. Mm. All right. That gets us to our last question. Is Mass Effect still a good game? And I think, heck yes, we both agree. I loved my time with Mass Effect so much that I went straight into Mass Effect 2. So platinum Mass Effect, going to platinum Mass Effect 2 in the next, probably in the next 24 hours. And um, I don't know if I'm going to go straight into 3. Probably not. I say that now, but we'll see. You're a savage. <laughs> yeah, I, I've, I'm cracked into to two like just started on my my journey with two uh today so i'm i'm not worrying about perfect gamer scoring them as they call it on uh on the xbox world but uh i'm just enjoying my time like it's it's been a long time between drinks Mm. with this franchise for me so it feels like a new a new beginning a fresh start for it where i'm getting a completely new experience and some of the changes they've made with this legendary edition is great like um whether it be the the improvements with the the mako movement the inventory uh management's a bit better the sprinting uh you know the cooldowns have been reduced the leveling system like i found myself leveling really quickly in one like when you go with the new legendary option instead of the standard one to Mm -hmm. 60 when you've got this condensed one to 30 leveling um your skill tree gets filled really quick so you feel very powerful really quickly which is great uh, graphically, I think it's like chef's kiss. Like, yeah, it's, it's not competing with a God of War or a Ratchet and Clank or Halo 
Like it's not competing with these these big upcoming AAA releases, but it's it's done just enough to feel like it doesn't look completely out of place on these yeah. new consoles. So um, shout out to the the people involved in in doing these legendary editions and adding this fresh coat of paint and quality of life improvements. It, it feels it feels good. It feels good. There is some minor bugbears we talked about, but overall this game is great, and I highly recommend picking up the legendary edition if you played through the original trilogy already or if you're first-timer. Mm. I actually had a, a glitch with the Saren fight where the game would crash whenever you used biotics on him. Oh, so, damn. like, I didn't realize why it was happening. I had to Google it and people were like, yeah, don't use biotics or the game will cl- crash on PS5. So, wow. <laughs> I was like... Too many textures popping yeah, off at once I, or I something. I got through the whole know. game. It was like the last fight and it crashes. What the heck? But no, you're, you're entirely right. I think it speaks to the brilliance of the character design that these characters and these aliens and everything still look awesome like the krogan like it's just it's such a such an awesome character like it, it, it looks like what i imagine an alien race that evolved independently yeah. from human kind would look like in a different galaxy i don't know why everyone, the, the races are phenomenal yeah, i don't man. know why everyone speaks english that doesn't make any sense even when they're talking to each other but uh we'll ignore that for the sake of uh you know we don't want subtitles on every single interaction yeah <laughs> i i think like I know we're talking one primarily here, but like the Drell, I really yeah. love that race too. Like the sort of the, the, the fish croaky, croaky creature. Voice kind of thing. Yeah, like Thane Krios is a phenomenal character. He's one of my favorites in, in this entire franchise. But yeah, I love that they're all very unique, distinctive alien looking races. They're not just a human that's colored yeah. green or something, you know. They, they really went out there with some of these these crazy looking um alien species like the elcor the elcor you know? are so good like, I, I love they're the elcor, so great the way that they have to explain their emotion at the start of each sentence yeah <laughs> it's, it's so great and like the writing and the dev team behind all this like chef's kiss to them yeah. hats off to them it's so cool it's it's just oh, i can't speak highly enough of it i love mass yeah, effect i just wish we had more like this I, i'm born for the the past eight years of uh of wasted time essentially with bioware uh and, and i'm saying that as someone who enjoyed anthem uh and parts of andromeda i guess but overall just yeah yeah i just wish i just wish like they could have kept going along that path and making you know being more influenced by things like the witcher than by destiny or, or whatever it is that they seem to be going down those paths but you know got to make what you got to make they got to keep the ea executives happy mm-hmm. hopefully we can just you know th- this love we've been waiting for this release for a while i should have said at the top like i've i've wanted to you know i, I platinumed mass effect 3 like three years ago and i haven't as i said i haven't been able to even access mass effect because i've got it on a disc and i can't pop a disc into my laptop but to have these games remastered and released now it feels like intentional. I think they recognize that people are hungry for this type of game and that mm-hmm. it's, at these types of games have aged super well too. So I think that, you know, fingers crossed, the love that these games getting will influence the future direction of the games they make on top of the fact that they've been commercially flopped. Yeah, it's certainly going to satisfy a lot of people's hunger until this next iteration of Mass Effect comes out in... 2025 potentially so uh 
yeah, this will this will keep a lot of people fed until then, I think. And um, yeah, a lot of people happy, a lot of purists and people new to this franchise. So uh, very good. Yeah. Shout out to Bioware. You've done right. well. Do you want to plug the Kofi, Brennan, and what's happening with that? Yeah, sure, sure. So um, listeners, if you want to support us monetarily, that would be fantastic. Obviously, you don't have to if you don't want to, but if you can spare a couple of dollars, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash we are 8-bit to get early access to exclusive podcasts, uh, as well as exclusive access to the Is This Thing On podcast. It lives wholly and solely on Kofi, so you can't get that anywhere else. Uh, you can also get uh, automatic entries into our regular giveaways. I uh, also get sent swag periodically throughout the, the years that you are subscribed to our Kofi page. And also you can get um, yourself an 8-Bit Founders coin for $20 delivered anywhere on planet Earth. Sadly, anyone in the broader Milky Way would pay mm. extra if we need to ship this credits. thing off, off Earth. Yeah, you know, a few more credits. We can maybe make a deal. Let's uh, slide into my DMs and we can talk about that offline. But yeah, um, yeah, Founders Coin, you want to get immortalized in our family portrait, which is Star Wars themed this year. It's going to net you $50 AUD and that's going to get you not only your own individual portrait, but also the finished group shot at the end of 2021. And on the topic of Kofi, we also have subscription tiers coming out in the coming weeks once it gets officially rolled into Kofi. So um, yeah, it's, it's ongoing. It's apparently going to be released sometime between now and the back end of June. And once that is active, we'll uh, give you some other options to get in at sort of cheaper levels if you want to. But as, um, as I said, you don't have to if you can't uh, or you don't want to throw any money our way. Just be sure to rate, review, subscribe to all the podcasts under the 8-Bit banner because it means an awful lot. Helps keep the emotional lights on in our hearts. Costs you nothing and takes you next to mm, no time. Absolutely. Yeah, hit, hit us up on Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you know lets you do reviews and ratings. It always helps us out and makes us happy when we come across those nice, kind words. Um, thanks to everyone that supports us on Kofi, all the producers over there. Maybe we can do a little Mass Effect family portrait next, Brendan. That would be pretty cool. I was thinking that as I said it out loud regarding Star Wars, I'm like, that could be fun, or maybe we'll just uh, we'll just. Uh humor ourselves and, and get ourselves modeled as, as yeah. mass effect characters yeah. over the coming weeks or months very good all right well because this is a new podcast i have no way to sign off so i guess i'll just say uh enjoy your your cup of tea that's it yeah um, and shout out again to ea for tossing us a couple of keys for us to review and uh debut the video game book club here but i guess until next time i've been nation uh, keep turning those pages that's a good way to, that's a good way to end